Wow, they're heading down to, uh, to the sanctuary, and it's about to get lit. Uh, and so <laughs> it's going to be awesome. We love these guys, uh, Lewis and the whole crew. Um, so grateful for them. Yeah, amazing. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how to follow that, except that the Lord's given me a message today. So praise God. Listen, if you're not a member of our church, you, you've received a welcome from Ryan um, hopefully from others who, who have helped kind of get you into this room. We're a church that really um, seeks to just love people with the love of Jesus. Uh, the Men of Nehemiah is, is a ministry that, gosh, really a men's class, but anybody, a lot of us, have been a part of. I'm asked to come and speak to that group often. We've come to know them and love them, but there's a group that comes down there every uh, Tuesday night, and, um, and you can go and be a part of that too. So you see information there in the bulletin, and uh, we'd love for you to connect with with them all right uh it was noted today is um is launch sunday which is an exciting day it means all of our kids how many have children anybody have us have kiddos okay they're they're moving up and yeah they're getting older and some of it you're going to be sending them off to preschool weeping in the halls you know tomorrow or this week um we have a new ministry that's going on right now it's a it's a gathering of children if you have k through second grade we have kids' worship taking place over in the third floor of Flight's building, and uh, it's just an age-appropriate gathering for kids. This is something that we want to offer as an option for you. We want kids to worship, you know, the Lord with us, but some of you uh, would prefer that, that age group, you know, maybe be in their own place and learning about Jesus, having lots of fun uh, in church. You know, we believe here that church ought to be fun for kids, and it ought to be a place where they learn about Jesus and our love to Him. I remember when I was a kid, I had, I had lots of fun moments in church when I was a kid. Uh, our kids have had a great summer. We've been involved in lots of ministries, camps, and all that good stuff. When I was a kid, um, back in the day, uh, you know, we broke into spontaneous games often in our neighborhood, whether it's kick the can. Anybody play kick the can? Some of you younger, like, I don't even know what that is. Is, like, is that an app? Is it on the iPad? Or... Um, it was actually a game you played. We played, um, gosh, I remember ca catching lightning bugs. I grew up in, in North Carolina. They were all over the place in our neighborhood. Um, if you had a group of boys, one of the games that we kicked into spontaneously was King of the Hill. Uh, if there was a, like a, a house going up or something in your community, or you'd find a hill or some mound, a bunch of boys would get to the top, climb and claw their way to the very top. And then the whole thing was to stay at the top and then make sure nobody else, you know, can, can take you down. And so um, uh, we grow up, we get older, and uh, we keep playing the game. Uh, as adults, it might be that, you know, we're going to climb the org chart, right? I'm going to have that position. I'm going to scrape and fight and make my way to that, uh, to that job right? Or move into that neighborhood, into that house. Uh, maybe for you, it's, I'm on the golf course. I am the man. Or I'm at the gym. I mean, you still see, still see this, right? Or I'm going to be the, the super mom. Uh, I'm going to be all that. And we fight and we push our way to the top. Do you ever feel like you have to fight to get what you really want that you think is going to make you happy? You ever feel that way? What are you pursuing in your life? To make you happy? And how are you going about pursuing it? I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We've been in this series that is kind of the series formerly known as Happy People. Um, it's the image here. And um, we are so excited about what God has been doing in our hearts 
as leaders, as speakers. I know for me, this is a challenging thing to do, to walk through the Beatitudes. But Jesus steps into this conversation about what it is that makes us happy. And he says this in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, listen to this. He doesn't say blessed are the most aggressive. Blessed are the strongest. Blessed is, are the quickest, the loudest. He says blessed are the meek. We've noted that meekness uh, or I should say happiness, blessed, is, is to be happy, right? Translated happy. It's a hard word to translate. Uh, it means to have an enviable kind of life. It's the life that God has blessed. And so I don't know how many of us look at someone who's meek or, in, or last week, someone who's grieving, or the week before that, someone who's poor in spirit, uh, recognizes their sin, you know, really in desperate need. We said happy people are needy people. Happy people are grieving people. Happy people this week are gentle people. As we'll note, probably a better translation. Happy people are gentle, pe- gentle people, Matthew 5, verse 5. Now, he's, he's saying to really get what you want, to truly be happy, then you're going to run counter to what most everybody really thinks. Now, this is one of the Beatitudes um, where the people would have actually heard this before. You may not know that he's directly quoting Psalm 37, verse 11. You can see it there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Man, what a testimony we heard this morning. Peace, the peace of God that captures us. How do we enter into that peace? Well, it's when we cease striving, right? Now, here's what would have happened. The first hearers would have heard Jesus say this, and they would have, the Torah observant Jews would have gone, yep, I believe that. I, I believe that, that, that this is right. The meek, we will inherit. We're the meek ones. We're going to inherit the earth. This is our land. This is our plot of land. But there's a problem. See, the psalm was given to say, hey, listen, throughout this, the 37, um, 37th psalm, it says, it says that God is going to give the land to the people. God's going to do this. And it says that the role of the righteous is to trust Him, to obey Him, to worship Him, to rest, to be still, it says, in Him, to delight in Him, it says. And it also says that God then is going to take those who are unrighteous and He's going to displace them and cause the righteous to rise up and inherit the land. There's a problem. You see, in first century, uh, the first century Judaism, they were not on top of the hill. In fact, the Romans were. And this is helpful for some context. Jesus is speaking in the context of first century Judaism. And he's speaking primarily to his disciples. It notes early on that he gathered his disciples around. Others are listening in. But he's speaking to those who would determine they're going to live in the kingdom of God. This upside down alternative kingdom that we've been called to live in. Because here's what was happening in the first century. You had different groups who were fighting to get to the top of the hill. Now, this is helpful because when you're reading Scripture and you come across across these groups, it helps for you to know. There's four different groups who are vying for position at the top of the hill. The first one was the Herodians. You might remember that name. They were were saying, man, we're, we're, we're we're with Herod, who was a puppet 
a vassal leader, I mean, in a vassal state, they, Rome placed him there. But they were going to do whatever they could to, to kind of work with Rome and get what little scraps of power they could. They were the Sadducees. They were the ones who had privilege, and they were going to stay in that position of privilege and wealth, and they were going to control the temple, which they did. And so they did everything they could to keep in you know, their place of control. Then you have the Pharisees. No doubt you've heard of them. The Pharisees are the ones who kind of went into full quarantine, you know, kind of a us against them, but we're not going to cause any trouble, but we're going to do our thing. We're going to remain pure, right? And yet we're not going to, they didn't really care for anybody who much lived in the land apart from themselves. And then you had the zealots. The zealots were the ones that were constantly at, at war against Rome. They were going to go an aggressive, violent way to get to the top of the hill. You might remember Barabbas was a zealot, which is why he was being crucified. Capital punishment was coming his way uh, during the Easter story. So you have these groups at work. But what I want you to see here is the first thing, like the people of Jesus' day that he's speaking to, he speaks to us now. His words echo forth into this room, into our congregation, into our lives. And, and here's why this, this is so unsettling for us. Because we think we believe a lie. So first point of my sermon is a lie. Okay, watch this. Gentleness reveals weakness. We think that gentleness equals weakness, that meekness is actually weakness. But what you're going to discover today is that meekness is not weakness at all. You see, no one in Jesus' day would have heard his words just as you're going to struggle with this today. You're going to hear this and we're going to unpack this, and you're going to actually believe that this is true. All of this sounds ludicrous. All of the Beatitudes sound crazy to me, except that Jesus is the one who says it. See, nobody in Jesus' day would have said, we're going to take the land, we're going to get what we want to be happy, because that's what all these groups are doing. They think that that's what's going to ultimately bring happiness, okay? Nobody in any group at all was saying, step one, be meek. And yet it's what, what God has said in Psalm 37, and it's what Jesus is saying again. You really want to get what you want? How about this? What you really need? Be meek, be gentle. You see, Matthew 5, 5 sounds ridiculous, certainly not pragmatic. Except that we've got to step back and say, but Jesus said it. So we either believe him at his word and actually practice it and see what happens by faith, or we choose not to. And most of us choose not to. Let's be honest. In real life, this is one of those things where be meek and gentle. Yeah, right. That's good. But then when it comes down to real life, in our families, in our work, you know, in our lives, we don't often live that way, do we? Instead, we'll say, God, I'll, I'll take this. We'll fight fire with fire, won't we? When someone raises their voice at us, we raise our voice. You get angry with me, I'm, I'm going to get angry with you. Do you know that within our minds, actually, this is, a, this is a spiritual thing, but we have what's called mirror neurons, in our minds. This is a real thing. I mean, it's, it's across the animal kingdom. When you get angry with me, I'm, I, my natural response is to get angry with you. You raise your voice, I'm going to raise my voice, right? When, when someone uh, is going to kind of take advantage of me, I'm going to step in and say, no, no, you're not. I was recently at the airport. We're getting on a flight. I'm looking at my, you know, my, my boarding pass. I got, I'm group five. You know, they have like five special groups before number one, before the first group, 
I'm like, man, platinum and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, man. And then finally group five comes. And you know how this works. It, you know, I'm like, this is group four. Uh, I mean, I'm group five. This is next. I'm going to go I'm gonna be first to group five. And then you start, and nobody really wants to do what I'm doing here. You know, like, nobody really wants. <laughs> no, no. But what we do, we're, we're like, in our minds, we're like, you know, uh-uh. Wait, you're merging. You're not, uh-uh. No, I was here. I'm sorry. I, no, this is my wife. I'm, no, I'm with her. Are you kidding me? I mean, yeah, yeah, I can't say that. I'm a pastor. Somebody might discover who I am. And so, but you're, you're just like going, no. And we do this, right? We, we, we fight for our position. It's just a natural thing. It's how we live our lives. And, and what happens is when somebody comes after us, man, we just want to power up. Or here's what happens. Somebody is, is, is coming at us. And we, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll give money Man, towards a cause or towards a politician who's going to protect my rights because I want to be on top of the hill because I believe ultimately that's going to make me happy. But listen to this. This is what's crazy about the Beatitudes. And you're going to see today it's an act of faith to actually believe that Jesus' way is the better way. When we look at Matthew 5, just verses 28 through 38, we see things like, he says this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You, you may know this. Um, uh, you've heard it said, he says over and over again. And that's not just a way of saying, hey, Jews, listen, all of you Jewish, Torah observant Jews, you've heard the law says this, and he does that. But I'm telling you, it goes deeper than that. But I would say to you today that, that, that in our context, it, it is all that. But you've heard, you've been taught You've heard it said from your parents, from generations, from our culture, you be aggressive, you be strong, you be powerful, don't let anybody get ahead of you. You be first, and then you'll have happiness. And Jesus says that's not the way it works. Now, I hope that you will wrestle with this message and try to figure out how you're to live this out. But what did we say? What if we just take Jesus at his word? Yeah, I'm not sure that's going to work. I mean, think about it. Just in verses 28 through, uh, 28 through 38, he says things like, uh, hey, if someone slaps you on the cheek, give them the other cheek. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. If someone takes your, you know, they, they want your tunic, you give them your coat as well. If somebody forces you to go a mile, you go two miles. What? And I know what you're thinking, like, Jeff, I mean, that's, it's why so many theologians have thought, he's like talking about heaven or something. I mean, he's, this is like some alternative kingdom, not in here and now. And Jesus said, no, no, now, this is how we're to live. And what I want you to see is that gentleness is not weakness. Instead, gentleness reveals strength. We think that gentleness reveals weakness, but gentleness reveals strength. See, the word uh, meek means strength under control. All right. The whole the image you may have heard before that I think is so powerful is one of a horse that's been tamed or a wild animal. This giant, you know, power of an animal has been brought, tamed and domesticated. That's the image. That's how the word was used. Um, we were in Colorado this summer and. At the beginning of the week, I'm at this Christian uh, family guest ranch uh, speaking for a week. And you all can come join me next year. It would be awesome. It's just outside of Estes Park. 
at Wind River Ranch. So we're there, and the wrangler uh, says this to a group of us. We, we, we have this little moment uh, at the beginning of the week, and they match you with a horse, right, through the week if you want to ride. And they'll ask, hey, how many of you have never ridden a horse before? And, you know, several always will raise their hands that have never ridden. They said, no problem. We have horses that have never been ridden. <laughs> uh, we'll match you uh, with one of them. And, um, you know, and uh, what happens, though, is, and you know this is true, you put somebody on a horse like that, it's not going to go well. Um, several years ago, a few, just a couple years ago, we went, I took my family up north of, of Estes Park, up into Wyoming. It's, I don't know if it's an hour and a half. We went to Cheyenne to the, the big, it's, they call it the granddaddy of them all. It's the outdoor rodeo there, that, and they do events at this rodeo. It's like old school rodeo. They do things there that I hadn't seen before. One of the events is, is an event where they have three-man teams uh, that go out with different colored shirts on. They go out into the arena, and they have, one guy has a, has a lasso, you know, rope. One of them has a bridle. One of them has a, a, a saddle. And then they release these wild horses that have never been ridden before. It is a train wreck. I mean, I want you to see this. I just have images because here's what happens. The guys go out there. You can see them. They first try to lasso him, which doesn't always happen, all right? So we're just going to roll through these rather quickly. This starts happening, okay? They're trying to reel him in. And then, the, you know, the teams keep working. Now, this guy, they finally have a horse. They try to get on him, right? They're gathering around. Now, this guy, he's going to put a saddle on this horse. So it goes like this. See, they keep, keep rolling. A lot of this starts to happen, Okay. These guys, and then a lot of this is going on. Um, and, and then there's some of this uh, that takes place. And then you, you know where this is heading. Um, finally, a guy gets on it, but this happens. Uh, that happens, right? And then ultimately, um, you end up with a lot of this. So I'm not kidding. There was one team out of all of them. It was a yard sale. And there were guys flying all over the place. And there was one team, a guy got on the horse, but it went backwards. The whole point was to get on it and you run around the track one time. Nobody did it uh, because the, the horse was just, I mean, the men were no match for the power of the horse. And yet, how about this? If you've been to rodeo, if you've ridden a horse, another horse with the same power and strength as that horse that's taking guys out, sending them to the hospital is being ridden by another cowboy who's guiding and directing and helping protect and, and guide you know, different cowboys that end up out there. You see, the tamed power of the horse reveals this strength. So look at this. Meekness is not weakness. I want you to get that into your mind. Not in the kingdom of God, it's not. It is not. Instead, here's what I want you to see. Gentleness is not weakness, but strength under control. Okay? So I really want to get that in your mind, and I want to show you now to get real practical and then apply this message into our lives. How is it that gentleness displays strength? Well, first of all, gentleness diffuses anger. Proverbs 15.1, you may know this verse. Let's all read this together, okay, like we believe it, all right? Let's read this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This week, when someone raises their voice, you lower yours. Watch and see what happens. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Again, we have these mirror neurons, and it happens. And listen, parents, 
You model the role in your family. If your family has become a place where people are raising their voice and you find yourself doing the same, you need this week to practice this beatitude. Trust Jesus' words are true. And listen, yelling at your kids never works. You know this? You can be passionate because here's what happens. You power up on your kids. I'm the parent and you yell. What are you doing? You're teaching them to do the same. And as parents, you need to start early in preschool. Little kids, you know, Stace and I, we were not perfect parents, but I tell you what, we never allowed our kids to raise their voice at each other. And in that, early on, let your words be gentle. Let them be kind because this is how you diffuse anger, right? Look at this. Gentleness diminishes conflict as a result. Parents, you want to diminish conflict in your home? If you want to diminish conflict with your roommates, if you want to diminish conflict in your workplace, then you approach others with gentleness, okay? You see, gentleness, not only does it diminish conflict, it diffuses anger, we've said, but it also uh, disarms your critics. And the more influential you are, the more critics you're going to have. The more you speak truth, if you're in a place of leadership, a place of influence, you're going to have critics. Count on it. If you don't want critics, don't take a place of leadership. And so how do you respond to critics? We see this often. I mean, nowadays there's sniper fire is what email is and, and, and social media and whatever else. Um, and, and you may not be surprised. Your pastor has critics. I have critics. I have people who will come after me, Right. And so over time, I've learned how to respond to critics. And here's the best way to respond. It's what Jesus said. Be gentle. You know what I'd seek to do? Outgrace them. Outlove them. And, you know, as an apologist myself, I've got answers. I like to, I mean, I've often said, if I wasn't in ministry, I should I'd probably be an attorney. I like to argue a point. I want to make, I can convince you that I'm right. But I've discovered that, you know, even now, the best apologetic approach, the best approach to helping others come to faith or understand a position is to listen well. Listen. And then be gentle in correction. In fact, here's what it says. Um, I love this verse in Titus 2.8. It says, it, it says other things. He's speaking to, to those of us who would lead out, and, and, and all of us, to be self-controlled, live in integrity. Then it says, and sound speech, have sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame. That's another way of saying to be silenced, embarrassed, essentially, having nothing evil to say about us. Be kind and be gentle. You don't fight fire with fire. You fight with love and gentleness and kindness. This is what Jesus is saying. Do you know that as your pastor, in fact, and this applies really to all of us, but I'll say this. I'm not, I am forbidden to get into quarrels and debates with people. You know that? Now, I'm called to bring correction, whether it's, you know, from the platform or the pulpit or in conversations with people. But look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And the Lord's servant, okay, so that's, Pastor, leaders, shepherds, this anyone in leadership in a church, but it applies to all of us, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to those he agrees with. It, it doesn't say that. No, it doesn't say that. Show, show this up there. Um, show, are, are we good? Show this verse, can we? 
Yeah, there we go. It says the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to people who agree with him politically. Be kind with people who are, are in same religion. No, no, no. Same denomination. No, no, no. Same theological bent. Be kind to them. No, it says be kind to everyone. It says kind to all people. And look at this. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. There's the word. God may, key point here, all right? And we're going to get to this more. God may do this thing. God may perhaps grant them repentance. He may be the one who turns their hearts, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And you're called to live this way. You and I, all of us are called to live this way. Because here's another thing. Gentleness is persuasive. This is true in your own personal life with your you know, in, in your dating life, it's true in the classroom, it's true in your marriage, and it's true in your workplace. Uh, gentleness is persuasive. Look at what Proverbs 25, 15 says. You can see it on the screen. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. What is that? Look how powerful this is. By the way, when you see ruler... In the Bible, we don't have kings and queens and rulers and such in our day, but you can, you can replace that word with the word boss. How about that? You be gentle, be kind as you respond to your boss in gentleness. You don't know my boss, he's not gentle. No, you be gentle. That's the point. You see, gentleness is practice. It's strength. It's harness strength because it's practiced by strong people. So when you're in, and if you're a boss... In a position of strength and power, you serve others with gentleness. That's the way of Jesus. You don't have to power up on everybody. You know, there was a day when I felt like, man, I got, I'm, I'm the pastor. I'm, I'm the leader. I got to be the smartest person at the table. I got to be, I got to be the one who's giving. Everybody's looking at me. I got to answer all the, I got to be ready to lead. I got, you know how freeing it is, though, when I came to understand, I'm stepping into a meeting and go, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I don't have to be. That's the body of Christ. And we get, you know, that, this is an amazing thing. I'm set free. I don't have to be the one who dominates. Watch this. Those who are aggressive, who are dominant, who are loud and boisterous, they're not strong. They are weak. Strong among us are those who are gentle and kind and loving. And so when we, when, when we respond to others, Proverbs 16, 21 says this, the, the more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. The Bible says when we're seeking to reach others for Christ, we're not trying to power up on them, overpower them. You never argue someone to Christ. You love them to Christ. Now, there are barriers that people have. And if you're a parent, you disciplined with gentleness, too, right? Again, yelling at your kids. How's that going for you, by the way? And it's true in, in preaching. It's true in evangelism. We can be passionate in all that good stuff. But here's what happens. Gentleness, watch this, demonstrates faith. I noted, I noted that earlier. Demonst it demonstrates faith because it says, God, you've got this. You think about someone with a quiet confidence that you know, somebody you respect who just has this peace about them. It's because, you know, if they're a believer, it's because God, God is in control here. He's got this. I'm going to trust him. 
when I think of uh, a person in the Bible who had this kind of quiet conflict, I think of Esther. If you know the story of Esther, I mean, Esther, you know, she discovers from her cousin, Mordecai, that the right-hand man to the king, Haman, is going to take her people out. She could have responded with anger. She could have, you know, been conniving, sneaky. Uh, she's wise, but what she does is she sets up a couple meetings with the king. She, she decides that she's going to approach him with gentleness and kindness, and she does so. And she approaches him with, with great courage and with strength, with gentleness. Not, watch this, not because she's a woman, because she's a person of great faith. I think it's interesting. I think women having... Men, much of your life, many of you, ha have to have to learn how to kind of fight to be king of the hill, if you will. Women have learned gentleness and meekness a lot more than men have. Because in our culture, and we do it with our boys, don't we? I know it's true in sports. You know, you're not going to hear a coach this week as you enter into football and whatever else. Hey, linebackers, hey, go easy on them. <laughs> don't hurt anybody. No, take his head off is what you need to do, <laughs> right? And so we learn that we start to translate this over into life and we realize, man, that's, that doesn't work in real life in, in, in the kingdom. So Esther speaks up. That's another thing. Don't remain quiet, silent. She wasn't silent. She spoke up, but she did it with gentleness and she trusted the Lord. Don't be silent. Govern your tone is what the Lord would say to us, because here it is, gentleness displays love. Gentleness is hard to live out, and here's why. Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's the produce. It's the result of the Spirit of God at work in you. Here's the thing about the Beatitudes. You cannot live them out on your own. There is no way. You can't live this way. It's why. It's for those who have regenerate hearts. Jesus is speaking to us, those of us who've received his grace and now have the power of the Spirit in us. Don't miss this this week. When you go about your work, you're not alone. You are walking with him and the Spirit of God is in you. Gentleness displays love. So listen to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You know this, right? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of the fruit of the Spirit is really expressions of love. And gentleness is love under control. That's what it is. And so as we, we close our time together, I want to I push us towards the final point that I want to make here. Number three, gentleness reveals Christ. We think that gentleness or meekness is weakness. We come to discover, because Jesus said it, and we, some of us have figured this out, gentleness actually reveals strength. When we look at Scripture, it shows it over and over again. But ultimately, gentleness reveals Christ. We get to show others why we're strong, why we're gentle. We trust in Him. And there's no greater place where Jesus exhibits gentleness than what we see in Matthew 21. Friends, it's the week as he's heading into Jerusalem for that last time. And it says this. In fact, it's out of Zechariah 9, verse 9. 
Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. See, ultimately, gentleness comes from the one who is gentle. In fact, you may know this verse as well. I love this. Matthew eleven, twenty-nine through 30. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Maybe you know that a yoke was placed on a wild animal, a strong animal. The bigger, the stronger, the better. It was strength under control so that it could be used by the master so that he could show his strength and his power through those of us who would give our hearts to him. Jesus is saying, you come to me. But he's saying more than simply, I'm a good example, so follow my example. He's that. He's saying, cease striving. Stop fighting to get what you think is going to make you happy. Instead, give your life to me. Christ is saying the religious way to work harder, to get better, to keep striving, to keep fighting. He says that's not the way to peace. Christ has come. A week after he'd ride that donkey into Jerusalem, he'd find himself on the cross, dying on the cross for us. Listen, Jesus is king of the hill. Jesus is king of kings. And his way is to pull us up, not to fight and claw and and battle others, stirring up dust so we can't even see him, but to rest, to truly believe that this this is real. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want us to bow our heads and and close our eyes. I want us to pray together. But we're going to close our time together. We've got time. I don't want anyone rushing out, running out. I want us to pause for what may be the most important moment of the week for you right now. We're going to sing a song in a moment. We're going to sing of God's great love, His goodness. We're going to rejoice in the fact that Jesus, King Jesus, is at the top of the hill. But he got there because he came from heaven to earth. He gave his life over to the will of the Father. He became obedient to him unto death. And not only death, but death on a cross. He became meek and gentle so that we could be raised up with him. And friend, whatever your hill is, Whatever it is, Jesus is better. Receive his grace. If you've never received Christ, you've never made a decision to follow him, do it today, do it now. Say, Lord God, come into my heart. I want to cease striving. i got to stop fighting. It's killing me. Only when you give your heart to him will it end. Then you'll find peace. If you want to be happy, come to the one who brings happiness and joy.
peace and all of these things that will truly make you happy. Meekness isn't weakness. It is strength. And it is found in Christ. Lord, we give our lives to you. We celebrate your goodness. We give you all that we are. And we worship the fact that you are good. You're so good. The Bible tells us in Romans 2, 4, His kindness leads us to repentance. Friends, I want you to stand right where you are. And we're going to sing a song that many of you will know. We'll get into it. You'll know it. And I just want us to spend some time. We've got time just to praise the Lord. Be reminded of His goodness. And this week, as we live out the gospel, you live out the fact that He is good. He's gentle. He's got your life under control. Give Him your life. Recommit yourself to Him. Even now. Let's sing together.